in these unusual circumstances, we are allowed to do unusual things. So I'm going to give a hello to my fourth and fifth grade Sunday school class. I assist Doug Zimmerman. So if you guys are out there watching, hello, please wave. Doug, Claire, Levi, Lucy, Ian, Gloria, Cameron, Anna Luisa. I hope I've got all of you. Well, here we all aren't. I'm here, you're not. It's kind of strange. Um, but, you know, God does wonderful things out of strange. He makes wonderful things out of strange things. I said goodbye to my good friend, Paul Cardillo. You know Paul. He comes up here. He's got that deep, resonant voice, got thick, black hair. He's a good-looking guy. Paul, I don't know if you're listening. but um, And when Paul was leaving to go to New Jersey, he's in New Jersey now, I, I said, Paul, you know, I've practiced the art of, of saying goodbye very nonchalantly. As a missionary kid, we learned to do that and just say, yeah, see you later. And uh, so we did that, said, see you later, because I had previously said to Paul, you know, Paul, you're not with me, but but you're always with me. Uh, you and I have imprinted on each other and God has imprinted us, uh, uh, us on each other and our hearts are knit together. And that applies to all of us. Our hearts are knit together, even though we're not here together. We are. And that gives me great comfort. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, draw us near and bind us tight. Replace our rags with your robes of light. Our empty hearts we ask to fill and give us peace and make us well. Amen. Let us also go that we may die with him. This is Thomas' response when Jesus, upon hearing Lazarus is critically ill, waits two days before he finally says, let us go to him, to Lazarus. It is the most notable delayed response in all of Scripture, although there is a similar story in Mark 5, the raising of Jairus' daughter. Thomas knows if Jesus goes to Judea, when he eventually goes, he may die. So Thomas says to the other disciples, let's go die too. Here are two types of going to death. Jesus goes to a dead man on his way to his own death, and Thomas goes to die along with Jesus. While the other disciples resist death, Thomas resigns himself to it. It's interesting here that while Jesus takes it to death, uh, of course, on his own time, on his own schedule, I guess you could say Jesus is not a very good first responder. While he takes it to death in his own time, Thomas says heroically, perhaps, and a bit morbidly, bring on death. Thomas is representing explicitly and interest in the mortality of the body. In his poem, Neutral Tones, Thomas Hardy writes, the smile on your mouth was the deadest thing alive enough to have strength to die. It's kind of a depressing poem. <laughs> but this is also the disciple Thomas's perspective. There are dead men alive enough to have strength to die. And our readings uh, from this morning begin that uh, Brad and Andrew read. They begin with an intense, uh, they begin with death and an intense focus on just how dead dead is. Not mostly dead, but bleach dry bone dead. Four days decomposing dead. Lord, he stinketh. Even that which seems to be alive is dead, Paul tells us in Romans. The body is dead because of sin. It's the deadest thing alive enough to have strength to die. 
Paul not only reinforces how dead we are, he describes another category of death altogether. He tells us our body, our flesh, by which he means the entire human person, has turned away from God, our creator and source of life, and turned towards self. We are constantly tempted, as Adam was at the beginning, to think that we are actually sufficient unto ourselves, that we have life unto ourselves, that we can perpetuate this life by being good or religious, of which Paul himself was the supreme example. So religiously zealous, in fact, he wanted to kill followers of Jesus, just as the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus after he raised Lazarus. What they wanted was death because death begets death. This is death adorned by a facade of religiosity and an appearance of goodness, aspiring to be like God, who only is good. These religious leaders look good on the outside, but inside they are full of dead men's bones, as it says in Matthew 23, 27, Ezekiel's dry bones. They don't need a new liturgy. As Ezekiel says it's in chapter 36, they need a new heart. Because the liturgy, the letter of the law without the spirit, Paul says in Corinthian nature, also kills when our good deeds and sacrifices have been rejected, as was the case with Cain and Abel. Cain's offering was not accepted, and he became very depressed and very angry, and the first recorded act of worship leads to the first murder. Well, it's an awful lot of talk about death so far. These are sobering realities about death, but it is important to think about death, to live with the end in mind. In the time of corona, I believe all of us are mindful of our mortality. We are, as Kierkegaard said, summoning the earnest thought of death, which will give retroactive force in our lives and help us remember what is most important in life. We are mindful of love, life-giving love in this time of corona. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Kate Bowler, Bowler wrote a book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved, after she had been diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. She asks, how can anything good live in the space that death would make? How can anything good live in the space that death would make? As the question turns in my mind, she writes, my hand begins to scribble. As I read this in Kate Baller's book, I thought of Jesus a few stories back in John, scribbling in the dirt when the Pharisees wanted to kill a woman caught in adultery, scribbling life in the space that death would make. And all through the Gospel of John, all the way to his death, Jesus brings life to the space that death would make. When a wedding host is mortified, he has run out of wine, Jesus makes him fine wine from water. When a woman who has been through five men and is living with her sixth comes to a well, Jesus says, I am the one you've been looking for all your life. The seventh man, the perfect one, who will love you with an everlasting love. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. When you struggle to care for a child, a parent, a patient, you are giving your life to them. When troubles come, little deaths, corroding your confidence, your relationships, your security. Jesus says, in this world you will have troubles, but I give you a peace the world does not know. 
And peace is life. It's laughter. It's feasting. It's sleeping well. When you're sad, you're confused, you can't see the way ahead of you. You don't know, you can't discern the path ahead. You're hounded by naysayers. Jesus says, I will give you the spirit of truth. Where it's difficult to discern truth, Jesus promises it to us. And how does Jesus do this? Because he is man and God. As a man, he dies, but as the exalted Lord, he lays down his life and takes it back again as he travels to the cross. Jesus repeatedly tells his disciples that he is from above, from the heavens, from the Father, while they are from below, from the earth, from Adam. As such, Jesus Christ goes to the cross, his death, voluntarily, and thus his elevation on the cross is his exaltation and glory. But John also insists that just Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. In Christ, God descends from his above into our below, and that which is above in Jesus, the Spirit of God, the buoyant breath of God in him, pulls Jesus up from below, all bone, sinew, flesh, and skin of him, the ascended Christ, still marking, still bearing the marks of his descent. Death is a shedding of his mortality, but not his humanity. Thomas, the resolute believer in death, becomes the doubter of life in death and from death until he touches the body of the resurrected Jesus and puts his hands in the wounds. No social distance there. Then he knows that the exalted and crucified Lord, the ascended and descended Jesus are one and the same. And it's a glorious moment. This means death is not the end. It is rather, as, as uh, Kevin Corrigan states in his foreword to the marvelous little book, The Life of St. Macrina. That book is written by Gregory, the Bishop of Nyssa. But Kevin Corrigan writes in his foreword, death is the culminating moment in the Christian's giving up of herself to others and to God, which is in turn the discovery of all that God has given her to be. This is a remarkable statement. You have to die to be all that you can be, to become even fully human, to become a completed human being. The question then is not how then shall we live, but how then shall we die? By making good live in the space death would make, by making love live in the space death would make. Jesus let Lazarus die for the glory of God, but also because he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. The glory of God is also his sacrificial love for us, which always brings us to life. Our current response to this pandemic is unprecedented and extreme. And it's an example of our relationship to death, unprecedented, extreme example, perhaps. Separate, isolate, quarantine. But we can't quarantine ourselves from death. We carry death with us while the Spirit also brings life to our deadness. So the question is, how do we follow the spirit of life, the spirit of love who conquers death in these times? I was fascinated. This is almost an aside, but I had to put this in. I was fascinated to read uh, yesterday or Friday, maybe, uh, Matt Milliner's recent article published in the New York Times, What Men Can Learn from Mary, Mother of Jesus. And uh, Matt, if you're watching, forgive me if I don't have this quite right, but I think I, I've got, you know, some of the essence of this. Uh, once we have been born from above, Matt points out, Christ is formed in us. 
the Apostle Paul writes, my little children for whom I am in the pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And he writes also, along with all creation, we suffer the pains of childbirth together. This is amazing. Even as we are born anew in Jesus, he is born in us and through us, even as we suffer and die, and perhaps especially when we die. And Matt quotes uh, Simeon, the new theologian who died in 1022. Each conceives in like manner to marry within himself the God of all, as she bore him in herself. I have a good friend, just a few years older than me, who was dying of cancer. Right now he's on the cusp of hospice. Tumors through his entire body, his thigh bone weakened by the cancer just snapped right in half. He called me a couple weeks ago, full of morphine and racked with pain. But he was ebullient. He had just finished his Thursday morning death vigil with a group of men. He has gathered around him as he dies. They meet every Thursday morning, and now via Zoom, of course, every Thursday morning to encourage Ray and to encourage one another. And my son is one of them. That's why Ray called me, to talk about my son. He's starting to know who Jesus is, Ray practically chortled. Isn't that something? I'm dying and your son's coming to life. I sent this to my son. He gave the okay. And I, when I last spoke with him to Bentley, he said, Dad, I thought it was a support group for this guy and the right thing to do. I almost backed out, but you encouraged me to go, and God met me, and these men love me. It just happened. Well, death happens, but life doesn't just happen. Love doesn't just happen. You have to choose life. Choose love in the space that death would make. Amen.